Reaching up, reaching over, and reaching out. We are New Life Christian Fellowship. For service times, articles, or recordings of our weekly messages, please visit us online at www.nlcfchurch.org. This message is brought to you by Bill Friesen. Before we dive into this morning's message, I would like to open up with a word of prayer. Bow your heads with me, please. Father in heaven, we come before you this morning, Lord, with a filled heart already, Lord. Father, I thank you for the songs that have already been sung this morning. And the song, Sing a Little Louder, really comes to mind, Lord. And Lord, I pray this morning that as we dive into the word this morning, that I pray against any, any distractions, Lord God, that we may have this morning that are on our mind. Lord, I ask this morning that each and every one of us will give our undivided attention to your word, not to me, Lord, but to your word. I pray, Lord God, that you will fill us with your spirit. And Lord, I pray that your spirit will nudge our hearts and just nudge our, yeah, nudge our hearts in areas where, Lord, where, where, where we maybe need to do some business with you, Lord, whatever that may look like. But I pray, Lord God, for strength this morning. I pray, Lord God, that your word will be heard. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We are continuing our series called Return to Worship. And the message titled for today is called The Despair of the Elders. And you will find our text for today. You will we'll read it in, um, in Ezra uh, chapter 3. There's only three verses or four verses that we'll be covering. It's verses 10 through 13. So if you have your, if you have your Bibles with you, you can already turn there. Now, my message today is not just confined to these four verses. Uh, it, it's actually going to go back even to the beginning of uh, chapter 1, kind of just covering a little bit of what we're, go- what we're going to be talking about today. I need to go back a little bit is what I'm saying. So we read that King, that King Cyrus, that God had moved the heart of King Cyrus and that he was allowing the Jews to go back and to be able to go back to Jerusalem and to rebuild the altar, to rebuild the temple. Now, this temple, why was this so important? You know, when we read about in the Old Testament times about how when Solomon built the temple of God, how that this was supposed to be a place where God's people could gather and worship the Lord. But it was also a place where God would come down and meet the people in that place. And that to me is of significance. And I'm going to be focusing a lot on that today. When we read in the, in, in, in first and second chronicles is where the temple is to be, was to be originally built. It was supposed to be David who was supposed to build the temple. But since David was a man of war, God chose Solomon to build the temple of, uh, of God there. And when we read just exactly what was involved and how majestic this temple looked and what it was about and why it was to be there, uh, it is overwhelming. I'm going to read a few verses this morning. But the bottom line for this temple was that God was going to be there. God was going to show up there. And listen to Solomon's dedication prayer in 2 Chronicles. And this is after the temple was built. And I want you guys to visualize what's happening in these verses here. It says this. And I'm just starting off in verses uh, 6, chapter 6, 2 Chronicles 6. 2 Chronicles chapter 6, starting in verse 18. I'm going to be jumping around a little bit because there's a lot there. Solomon's dedication prayer. 
But, God, but will God really live on earth among people? Why, even the highest heavens cannot contain you. How much less this temple I have built. Listen to my prayer and my request, O Lord my God. Hear the cry and the prayer that your servant is making to you. Make you watch over this temple. May you watch over this temple both day and night. This place where you have said you would put your name. May you always hear the prayers I make towards this place. May you hear the humble and earnest requests from me and your people Israel when we pray towards this place. Yes, hear from heaven where you live and where you hear and forgive. And and I'm going to continue on a little bit more in in verse 7 here as well. Now, this is after, when you read about the construction of the temple, there is, like, you talk, it's described in great detail. And when you think about what was done and how they overlaid everything with gold, it must have been a precious sight, a beautiful sight. And in the center of it all, the most holy place, the Ark of the Covenant was there. And this is where, that was the holiest place where you could go in that temple. And now listen to what Solomon says after he's done praying. When Solomon finished praying, listen, I want you to picture this. Fire flashed down from heaven and burned up the burnt offerings and sacrifices. And the glorious presence of the Lord filled the temple. The priests could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glorious presence of the Lord filled it. When all the people of Israel saw the fire coming down and the glorious presence of the Lord filling the temple, they fell down on the ground and worshipped, praising the Lord, saying, He is good, He is faithful, His love endures forever. This is what's happening here in Ezra chapter 1 through 3. This is what the Israelites or the Jews are wanting to see again. This is what they are longing for. This is what God placed on King Cyrus's heart to allow the people to go back and to build this place of worship again. And from there, I want to continue on right where Ezra chapter 3, or in Ezra chapter 3, we want to read verse 10. And I want us to understand the significance of what praise and worship is today. C.S. Lewis, Lewis, Lewis describes this worship, describes worship like this. Only in the act of praise and worship can a person learn to believe in the goodness, the greatness, and the faithfulness of God. Let me read that one more time. C.S. Lewis says this. Only in the act of praise and worship can a person learn to believe in the goodness, the greatness, and the faithfulness of God. King Cyrus is letting the people go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. And why is he allowing this? So the people can once again go to a place where God would be present. Where they could meet God in the most holy place. That is kind of the four. I want, this is supposed to be what I want you guys to be thinking of as I continue with this message. The act of worship. What does worship look like? How do we give ourselves to worship? What does worship look like today? These are all things that we're going to be covering today in today's message. So I'm going to read Ezra chapter 3 verses 10 through 13 and then we'll unpack these these verses here. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple, the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments with trumpets and the Levites with cymbals took their places to praise the Lord as prescribed by King David of Israel. 
with praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord. He is good. His love toward Israel endures forever. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house was laid. But many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of the temple being laid, while many others shouted for joy. No one could distinguish the sound of the shouts of joy from the sound of weeping because the people made so much noise and the sound was heard from far away. There's some certain verses that I want us to pay really close attention to, and that is verses 12 and 13. And I'm going to unpack that a little bit later, but I want that to be on your mind as well. But when it talks about how there was much, there was a loud wailing, there was loud weeping, both of joy and there was also a shout of weeping as well. They were intertwined as part of the worship. But before we get to that, I want to unpack, first of all, what it is to worship and what is part of worship. And I think Kevin covered a lot of this last week already. When we think about worship, what is it about worship and why is it so important? Well, Kevin talked about the worship or the the different types of feasts that were instituted back in the day and how all of them, the Passover feast, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of the First Fruits, the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Trumpets, Day of Atonement, the Feast of the Tabernacle, which was the, the Feast of Booths, All these things, why are they so important? They're important because they remind the people of God's goodness. They remind the people of what God has done for them through the whole time that they've been with or that that they've gone through their journey from Egypt to where they are now. God was with them the entire way. And these here, these feasts were to be instituted and, to be, and to, um, to be celebrated as a reminder of God's goodness. And I would ask you, and as we look at the feasts that are being held here, but also to do a reflection on your life. I know that there are hard things that all of us have gone through, and there are many good things, but do what, do what, what, what Ezra is saying here to do. You know, we, we reflect on the past or reflect on the different types of, of, of uh, feasts that were held, but do we reflect on God's goodness to us? You know, maybe it's not related exactly this way, but can you go back and look and see all the trials that you've gone through, the suffering or the hard things that you've gone through? Have you taken the time to see God in, you, God in, those, in those hard times? Because God has been there. May it be hard news that you've heard. May it be the, the news of someone, uh, a loved one passing away or a type of uh, uh, treatment or a type of uh, you know, cancer or whatever ailment you've been you know, diagnosed with. But do you see God with you? Do you see God walking with you? It is so important that we reflect on what God has done for us. And I'm not going to cover too much more about the feast because I know Kevin already covered a lot of that last week. But I want us to understand the next part here of this was the altar, was one of the things that gets rebuilt as well. The temple, and then it talks about the altar. Now there was something very specific that was talked about here when it talks about the, the offerings that we're giving. One of the offerings was called a burnt offering. 
And there's something different about the burnt offering compared to a regular offering. You will read about it in the Old Testament times when they gave offerings, that oftentimes the whatever meat was offered, that the priests and the Levites or whoever would eat from the, from the, from the meat that was left over. But this burnt offering, it has a distinct value here to it, a distinct meaning. See, the burnt offering was given in complete offering to God, meaning that there was nothing that they kept for themselves, nothing that they ate. This was a picture of complete surrender, of complete, this is my best and my all I'm giving to you. That's what this meant when they laid a burnt offering on the altar. It means I'm holding nothing back. Everything I have is yours. All that I have is yours. All my best is yours, God. And this goes along with the, the verse that Avery read with us, that read for us this morning. That our first act of worship, our true act of worship, is when we surrender all to God. That is our very first step in, in worshiping God. We have an example of this through Jesus Christ, as Kevin touched on last week already. Christ held nothing back. He gave 100% all of him for us. This is an image of the burnt offering when we hold nothing back for us, but we give it all to God. Romans 12, 1. I'm only going to read verse 1. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you, give your bodies to God. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he will accept. When you think of what he has done for you, is this too much to ask? I'm using the NLT version. What is it that Christ did for us? He saved us from the pit of hell. He paid the price on the cross when he was innocent. His innocent blood was shed for me and for you. Our first act of worship is complete surrender to God. All, we hold nothing back. An image that comes to mind sometimes is when, I remember a movie that we watched years ago. It was called Courageous. And, and in this movie, uh, the, the, the family there loses a daughter. And I remember the thing that was so hard for me to understand, or to, hard to, to take in, was so hard for me to see, is that when finally the father came to grips that his daughter was gone, and he was able to give thanks to God for the time that he had with her. As he's praying, fist clenched, he opens up his hands and he let go. What are we holding on to with fists clenched, with holding worship from God this morning? <laughs> to surrender is the beginning of our spiritual worship. What are we holding on to? As we continue, one of the things that really struck, that I took notice of as I was preparing for this, is that when uh, the builders, I'm going to go back to verse 10 a bit in Ezra 3, it says, When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments and with their trumpets and, and the Levites with their symbols took places and praised God. So here we see, and this is, doesn't seem like it fits in here, but as the foundation has been laid, 
only the foundation has been laid. The temple has not been built yet. And there is already a time of celebration again. And we read here in the previous uh, the couple chapters is that with the Jews going back now to rebuild the temple, there was animosity around them. The people that were now living in the land did not want that temple rebuilt. So there was fear amongst the Jews there as they were, were rebuilding the temple. And here now the foundation has been laid. And what do they do? They have a feast. Why is this so important? It reminded them again of that God was with them. That God was with them. You know, when I look at uh, uh, the temple itself here, after the foundation had been laid, there's still so much work that needed to be done. But it got interrupted with worship. How did they overcome fear? They worshiped God. That's what they did. And you know, when I look at, you know, uh, I think something that we can take out of this here is that when we, like I look at the things that I'm involved in, the committees and the things I'm doing. I look at uh, many of you that are involved in different things as well. Life can get so busy. You know what, I can't help but think that when these Israelites looked at this, the foundations were laid and later on Nehemiah comes and they rebuild the city. Look at how much work still had to be done. And yet, they were encouraged. Remember that God is with you. In all of your busyness, and all of the things that you have commitments to, remember that God is with you. Remember that God is walking step by step with you. Verses 3 to 5, it says here, that even though the people were afraid, and this is coming from Ezra chapter 3, they rebuilt the altar to its old site. Then immediately they began to sacrifice burnt offerings to the altar. They did this each morning and evening. They celebrated the festival of shelters as prescribed by the law of Moses, sacrificing the burnt offerings specified for each day of the festival. They also offered a regular burnt offering and offerings required for the new moon celebrations and other annual festivals to the Lord. See, this was not just a one-time thing. This was interwoven into their daily worship. This was part of their day. Worship renews the joy. It renews our strength. That is what this passage is teaching us here today. So do you feel overwhelmed with what you have on your plate? Do you feel overwhelmed with the commitments and committees and obligations that you have? I do. But then let's reflect on what, who we're doing it for and what God did for us. And allow that to rekindle your joy. Let that rekindle your strength. You know, in the Old Testament times, we read about the temple and how that was the place of worship. And that's where the people went to meet God in the most holy place. Today, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 20, we're talking about a different type of temple. We're talking about the t- that our body is the temple. That uh, In 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20, it says this. And this is talking about your body, not the church, but your body. Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God brought you with, bought you with a high price, So you must honor God with your body. 
We look at the Old Testament times and we look at the struggles that they had and the opposition they faced with building the old temple walls up or the the temple at the time. Let's take that into today. Let's bring it to today. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. How are we rebuilding or building the temple today? What are we doing to build one another up? Do you understand the power of words? Do you understand when you tear someone down or when you speak negative of somebody or when you gossip about someone, what that does to the temple, to your temple, and thus affects the church? The Holy Spirit dwells in you. How are we at lifting one another up? How are we at laying words of encouragement, building blocks of the soul to the person sitting right next to you today? The person sitting behind you, in front of you. What are you doing to build the temple today? Hebrews 10, 23 through 25 says this. Listen to these words. Without wavering, let us hold tightly to the hope that we have. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. Think of ways to encourage one another to outbursts of love and good deeds. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some do. But encourage and warn each other, especially now in the day of his coming back as the day of that when the Lord is coming back is drawing near. There's a couple words that really stick out to me. To, when, to encourage one another with out, outbursts of love and good deeds. I, I can't quite visualize what that looks like. But I have a Bible translation or a, a commentator a commentary that I would like to read that describes this so well. I cannot do it justice. So this is the meaning of what is being said here in Hebrews 10, verses 23 through 25. This word encourage means to stimulate strongly, to arouse or incite to riot. Christians need to spur or stimulate each other in two areas. Number one, love. Love is not just an emotion, but a choice to act regardless of one's feelings. We are to act lovingly towards one another. Number two, good deeds. Works done by the good for others. Believers are also not to neglect the meeting together. Some Christians were not going to church meetings. For whatever reason, these believers were trying to survive on their own. To withdraw from corporate strength is to invite disaster. Like a soldier in a battle who lags behind the rest of the platoon and becomes an easy target. Finally, believers must encourage and warn each other. These words reveal that Christians are responsible for each other. Get that part right there. That we as fellow believers are responsible for one another. Christians cannot be concerned just for their own spiritual well-being. They must also encourage others to keep fervent in their love and activate, uh, to, to, activate, to activate their service to God. Their encouragement should, uh, this encouragement should happen, especially now that the day of his coming back, the Lord is coming back, is drawing near. 
So these are some pretty strong words that are being said here today. But you know, we all fall short. I fall short. And I know you fall short as well. There are many of things that I wish that I've said in the past or that I have done that I wish I could take back. And I think we would all fall in that same boat. How are we laying the building blocks today? That is my question for you today. How are we encouraging one another? How are we building one another up? How are we, are we acting out in these outbursts of love, these to incite a riot? I mean, this looks drastic to me. This is not a, uh, something that's unnoticeable, but it's something that is noticeable. Do your words encourage and build Or do they tear down? In Nehemiah, chapter 8, verses 5 through 6. And you know what? Maybe you're feeling like these people here are feeling in Nehemiah. Listen to the words when Ezra reads the the law to the people that are standing there. And uh, this is in Nehemiah, chapter 8, verses 5 through 6. And it says this. The, this is now, the, the temple has been rebuilt. There's a celebration going on. Ezra stands up to read the law, and this is what it says. Ezra stood on the platform in the view of all people. When they saw him open the book, they all arose to their feet. Then Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and the great God and all the people chanted, Amen. As they lifted their hands towards heaven, then they bowed down and they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Verse 8 goes on. They read from the book of the law of God and clearly explained the meaning of what was being read, helping the people to understand each passage. The Nehemiah, the governor, Ezra, and the priest, and the scribe, and the Levites who were interpreting for the people said to them, Now listen to this. As they read the law, the people began to weep because they, they knew of their shortcomings. They knew where they fell short. Just like I know we have, come, we have fallen short. But listen to what Nehemiah says here. Don't weep on such a day as this. For today is a sacred day. The temple was built. Today is a sacred day before the Lord, before the Lord your God. All the people have been weeping, weeping as they listened to the words of the law. So as they were reading the words of the law, the people re- were reminded of their sin and where they had wronged someone. And they wept. And Nehemiah says, stop, not today. And Nehemiah continues, says, go and celebrate with the feast of choice foods and sweet drinks and share good gifts of food with people who have nothing prepared. This is a sacred day before the Lord. Don't be dejected. Don't be sad. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. And the Levites, too, quieted the people, telling them, hush, don't weep, for this is a sacred day. So the people went away to eat and to drink at a, festival, at a festive meal, to share gifts of food and, and to celebrate with great joy because they had heard God's word and understood them. We are not a perfect people. We are a very faulty people. We quickly fall into sin. In fact, our, we're drawn to it. 
But you know what this verse is saying here today? What this is saying here? We belong to God. As imperfect as we are, the mistakes that we make, and all of this, the weeping that was happening here at the dedication of the temple, God forgives because we belong to him. The joy of the Lord is our strength and he is always with us. That renewed grace that we're talking about here today. I've experienced that many, many times. As we continue on now here, that near the end here. You know, we read about, uh, we read those verses about where the people wept, where there was weeping and there was much joy in the temple. And then we, later on we read that, that uh, in, uh, in Ezra there, that upon the completion of the temple, that there was much weeping and much joy, and it was kind of all intermingled. What do we make of that? But you know what, as history, says, as history tells us, that at the building of this second temple, that uh, God never came down and visited this new temple. He never came. And I think this is why there was the weeping from the older men that had been there. The older people that had saw the glorious temple from before that Solomon built, and it's all its majesty. And, and in the center of it all, like I mentioned already, was the Ark of the, the, Ark of the Covenant. This building had none of that. It was not as fancy. There was no ark. No ark of the covenant that was there. It was an empty place. And to read about it, that God never came and visited it. But God, in his mercy and his, uh, just his nature of how he encourages the people, sends the prophet Haggai and says this to the people. And this is what I want you to focus on today. To hear this. I'm using the NLT version. It says this. Now the people are discouraged. They had not seen the same sight that they saw in the beginning when I read the account of Solomon where God came down and filled the place where the, minute, where the priests were unable to even serve the presence. They visually, physically, or they saw the presence of God. This lacked here. And Haggai comes and says this. Verses chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Then the NLT is very specific in saying, Then on October the 17th of that same year, the Lord sent another message through the prophet Haggai. Say this to Zerubbabel, governor of Judea, and, Je- and, and Jeshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of God's people in the land. Does anyone remember this house, this temple, and its former splendor? How is it in comparison? Does it look does it look to you now? How in comparison does it look to you now? It must seem like nothing at all. But now the Lord says this. Be strong, Zerubbabel. Be strong, Jeshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all people still left in the land. And now get to work, for I am with you, says the Lord of the heaven's army. 
My spirit remains among you, just as I as just as I promised when you came out of Egypt. So do not be afraid. God knew what they needed to hear. And for us, we have that same promise that God is still with us. God is with us. And he will be with us. And we may not see God's presence like they did in in Solomon's time. How the temple was filled with smoke and all its glory. But there's a day coming when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Because when he comes back the second time, we will see his splendor and his glory, the majesty of who Christ is. From the, from the, he's never changed. You will see his beauty. So how do we worship? We lay everything on the altar. We give our all to him. That is our spiritual act of worship. What are we holding on to with clenched fists? What are we holding on to? Are you tired? Are you overcommitted? Do you have too much on your plate? Do you feel overwhelmed? With, your, with whatever you are around. Remember that God is with us. Allow what God has done for you to renew your strength today. Christ paid it all. He spared nothing. He held nothing back. And he's coming back. How are we Rebuilding or building the temple today? What words of encouragement can you leave for someone today? And maybe you said some things that you need to take back. Don't wait. Take them back. Make things right. Let's rebuild and continue to build the temple of God, holding nothing back. Let's pray.